Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Talks at GS. I'm excited to be joined by my good friend, JJ Reddick. You know, I just want to start by, um, by welcoming you and really thanking you for being here. It's really, really great to have you. Yeah. So, um, so let's start by talking a little bit about the influence of your parents. Uh, before moving the family to Virginia, your parents lived, you know, what felt like a little bit of a bohemian life in Tennessee. You lived on a farm with friends. They ran a crafts gallery. Uh, your name, Jonathan Clay, was actually inspired, I'm told, by your dad's work as a stoneware potter. And your mother was a nutritionist. Uh, you were homeschooled until you were in the fifth grade. You know, talk about kind of the influence of your childhood and your parents on you know, who you are and who you've become. So I, I always think it's good to sort of understand context. And um, my parents met, uh, my dad was a senior. My mom was a freshman at Ohio Wesleyan. And after college, my dad, with like four of his buddies, bought just a random patch of land in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. And so they were doing sort of a bohemian lifestyle there. Um, they each kind of had their own separate tasks. So they were kind of doing their thing. And my dad is from Cleveland, so he's driving back through um, Delaware, Ohio one day. And my mom was walking down Main Street. And he stopped. They had coffee. They exchanged addresses. And they became pen pals. My mom was living in New York City at the time, working in an art gallery in Soho. And uh, my dad invited her down for a weekend. And she came down and never left. Wow. And that was the beginning of my family. Um, my, my older sisters were born in 1979. And five years later, I was born. And when I think about the influence of my parents, um, my dad is, is a counselor, or he was his whole life. Basically, from 1984 on, he was a substance abuse counselor for adolescents. Um, he became a sort of a life coach for people. He became a mentor for people in our church. He was an elder in our church. He was all about helping and mentoring people. Um, that's a trait that I sort of took from him. It's something that I really enjoy doing. From my mother, um, I think I got my competitiveness. Um, she is the most unfun person to play cards with. <laughs> I mean, I, there's memories of us on family vacation when I was 11 years old, and she, she cheated in Scrabble. Like, wow, this is the type of environment that I grew up in, you know? <laughs> um, but I also think, I, I would say this too, David, you know, if I really think about the influence of my family, the biggest influence I had was my older sisters. Um, they were my heroes, and I, I, I literally did everything that they did. If they went out to the woods to build a fort, that's where I was. They started riding horses. I started riding horses. They started playing softball. I played baseball. And the only reason I started playing basketball was because when they turned 13, they were six foot one, and they started playing basketball. And so then I started playing basketball. There's something about being in a gym or as a child, being in a backyard, going to the park by yourself, having that solitude, and the repetitive action of shooting a basketball and watching it go through the net is like a drug to me. I mean, there is, I, I, I shoot every day, and there's a dopamine hit that I get every time the ball goes through the net. 
and I'm still addicted to that feeling. And I was addicted then at 12, and I'm st I still am, you know, 23 years, years later. When, when did you think there was a chance that this could be a career? <sighs> That's a great you question. Were playing, you were clearly playing because you loved it. And I just yeah. listened to you talk about, you know, kind of the, 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 the drug hit associated with shooting the basketball. Yeah. But when did, it, when did it change from a passion to something you're like, this, this, I can do this? Yeah, I think the, the mindset growing up was that the NBA was, was a pipe dream, that it was, it was a long shot. You know, I, I was such a big Duke fan. And so my goal, my whole childhood from eight years old on when I started playing basketball was to play for Duke. And by eighth grade, when I hit my growth spurt and had gone to some national tournaments and, and done well, you know, I kind of knew that I would, I would have a chance to play in the ACC and, and, and was hoping for Duke. I was a Virginia kid. So UVA was, was an option as well. Um, it's not surprising to me that your dream when you were in seventh or eighth grade was to yeah. recruit at Duke, was to play at Duke, and that you actually achieved that. Because one of the things I've noticed, you're pretty good at kind of you know, working hard and, and getting where you want to go. So Coach K recruited you. And after watching you play in high school, he said he liked pressure. He liked to be one to produce under pressure. Not many kids show that ever but certainly not that early. That's, that's quite a compliment coming from Coach K. Is that drive, does that go back, that go back to your mom's competitiveness? Um, I, I think it goes back to certainly how I was raised. I'm in the middle of five kids. All five of us are now adults and we're all five high achievers and all five of us got Division I sports scholarships. My three sisters played Division I basketball. My brother played Division I football at Marshall. Um, so I think that was just the environment I grew up in. But I, I do think there's, you know, you're, you're wired a certain way. And I can't yeah. necessarily control how I'm, how I'm wired. And there's some things about how I'm wired that I, I think have served me well. And there's some things about how I'm wired that are problematic. And that's okay. But I always felt like the responsibility in the moment of pressure was one that I wanted. And the result was sort of irre irrelevant. The blame, the credit, that all became irrelevant to me. What was important was that I had control in that moment. And I think that's, if we go back to you know, early childhood, that's why I enjoyed pitching. You know, if you're a shortstop or a center fielder or a right fielder, standing you don't have much impact on the game. Yeah. I mean, if you're the pitcher, you have control over every play. Um, and as a basketball player, when it gets down to the last couple minutes of a game, I want to be the one taking the shot. I want the ball. Yeah. Well, you and, you and Coach K, you know, I know have remained good friends. You had him on your podcast. And, you know, you told, you know, him that he was a great coach because of his adaptability. Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things. I think whether you're in sports, um, whether you're running a business, um, whether you're in a relationship, a marriage, let's say. Adaptability um, is Adaptability good. is good. I think... Being rigid versus open-mindedness, open that's, that's a, a, a real struggle for, I think, a lot of people. What Coach, I think, does is really well is he looks at who is on his team that year, and he figures out, how do I maximize the talent on this team? It's not a system at Duke. It's, it's a system of people, and he uses people and uses their talents and then sort of brings that Elevates to the forefront. Everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And the other part of that is, look, College basketball over the last 30 odd years since he started coaching has changed drastically. Rule changes, mm -hmm. uh, the one and done rule, you know, guys leaving early prior to the one and done rule, um, 
So there's all sorts of things that he's got to sort of adapt to year to year within the context of college basketball, and he's done an outstanding job. He didn't want to do the one and done thing, and then he ended up winning a national championship in 2015 with you know three one and done guys. Yeah. Um, so there's success in that adaptability that he has. You know, to be honest with you, I don't really talk about this publicly, but my sophomore year at Duke um, was a low point in my life. And I tried to quit the basketball team. My sisters talked me out of it. That was in like December. Um, I lived the second semester of that season. I lived like I was a, uh, in a fraternity. Um, we lost against UConn in the national semifinal. Um, we were down one and I had the ball stripped on a drive. We fouled, they made two free throws. We were down three, and I missed the game time three with like five seconds to go. Over the next month, I really, I crashed. And I was, I, I actually told my parents that I was at Duke, and Duke, I told Duke that I was back in Virginia, but really I was just hanging out at a buddy's place, basically acting like I was in SAE. <laughs> and, <laughs> It was, I think I weighed like 225, I play at 195, I weighed, I, I played, I weighed like 225 pounds. So there's a, on the door one day, and it's Coach Collins and Coach Wojo. They drag me, um, they drag me out of the house. <clears throat> we go down, they're like, you're going to meet with Kay. The whole car ride, silence. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I am in. Like, am I getting kicked off the team? Like, all these thoughts are swirling through my head. We go upstairs to, to coach's office. We sit in there for an hour. I think I literally wept at one point. Um, and they said, look, you, you can continue to do what you're going to do. You'll probably score 2,000 points at Duke. You might make an all-ACC team and whatever. But we're not going to give you the responsibility to be a leader. You know, we're not going to try to make you the face of the program. And really the saddest part is, like, no one will ever know how good you could be. Um, and like in that moment, like what I learned from him was like forgiveness. I didn't deserve that. And he gave me that, that second opportunity and he took care of his guy. He took care of his guy. Like you take care of your own people. You know what I mean by that? And there's an incredible lesson to learn. And I, I'm... I'm friends with the guy, you know, 17 years later um, because of that, that moment right there. And it's a, it's a relationship that I, I thought I valued prior to that. As a Duke fan, I'm pinching myself every day. My first two years at Duke, I can't believe I get to play for this guy. And then that relationship just becomes something Evolved. else. Yeah. And um, that, to me, was the best lesson I learned from him. Well... You went to the NBA, you were the 11th pick by the Magic. Yeah. And the New York Times call you, calls you the NBA's most meticulous player. Um, you're not only meticulous though, I mean, I've observed this, you, you are a true professional at what you do. You approach it with a level of professionalism that I think is different than a lot of people who, um, you know, who play the game. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think there's a level of OCD that I have in terms of the preparation and the work and the routine and it's really important to me that I get all these things done prior to a game. It's just sort of a checklist. Uh, the other part about the discipline and the work is 
I feel like I've always had an appropriate level of fear for my job and that someone else wants my job. And that could be my literal job, like a spot on a roster. It could be my starting spot. It could be a spot in a rotation. Like every team is different, but I've always had that fear that someone is coming for me, so I can't be outworked. Um, and that has served me really well. I, I don't think I was as disciplined as I could have been my first two years in the NBA. I was super disciplined my junior and senior year at Duke, and then there was a period of time where, again, the immaturity sort of kicked in. And towards the end of my second year, uh, we were going to be a 50-some win team. We were an Eastern Conference contender. I played next to no minutes that year. Um, and it, you know, it got to the point by February where I was like, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not getting screwed over here. Maybe there's something I need to do differently. And so I approached our strength coach uh, with the Magic, who's still a friend to this day, and I said, hey, man, we got to change my body. i got to figure something out. And really from that point on, um, the meticulousness uh, <clears throat> sort of started, and it, I can't stop. I, I feel so bad for my wife. I really do. <laughs> I really do. She just wants to enjoy a family vacation, and I'm doing two-a-days in the Hamptons. You know, that's just, but that's how I'm wired. I can't, yeah. I can't help it. Yeah, well, there'll be, there'll, there'll be a day where it'll be different, yeah. and so, you know, it's a, uh, you know, while, while, while the sun's shining, yeah. you know, make, for sure. make the hay. But it's, it's interesting that you had the, the self-awareness at 23, 24 years old to kind of say, maybe it's me. You yeah. know, I, I, I think that's, I think a lot of people at that age, you know, wouldn't say maybe it's me. Um, and to really, to really kind of remake, and I just, it's, it's great you say, you know, two a days, but yeah. what do you do? Yeah. Um, and, and talk about your preparation. Well, I regrettably took today off. Um, I had done eight straight days of two a days, and I figured with our talk today, I think a clear morning would, would serve me well. So I took today off, but, but I'll just give you an example. Yesterday, and this is normal for, for sort of Monday through Friday and Sundays in, in the off season. Yesterday, um, I was on the court from like nine to 10, and you know I could shoot any number of shots, anywhere from 200 shots to 500 shots. It just depends on the day and what I'm working on. Everything's at game speed. Um, you know, I literally took my shirt off after my workout and you can sort of wring it out. And it's just dripping wet. Then I go up to the weight room and I spend about an hour and a half or so uh, with my, my trainer and we work on a bunch of stuff. In the last three summers with him, I've really gotten into doing joint mobility work as I age. I think it's really important. And so as, first half- as you, as you age, I'm observing yeah. that 1984, which is when I yeah. graduated from college. But you know, yeah. you know, everybody says you're an older player. I, you know, I would just highlight you're pretty damn young. I still feel young. I still feel 28. Yeah. I still feel 28. By the uh, way, I feel 35. But <laughs> probably big difference between my joints and yours. Uh, so that's, that's like a typical day. And, and then obviously, you know, and then Sundays, you know, I do this thing, it's so weird, but um, I make 342 shots. Um, there's a reason I get to that number. That's, that's what I wanted you to talk about. Yeah, there's a reason I get to that number, but it, you know, it's basically, there's, there's essentially seven spots on the floor. So I make 20 shots from all seven spots from two point range, that's 140. Uh, then I do it from three point range, that's 280. And then from those seven spots, I make three shots going right, off the dribble, three shots going left off the dribble, and that's 322. And in between each of those drills, I make five free throws. So there's 342. And and in a typical day, on a good day, yeah. how many shots do you take to make the 342? 
Um, on a good day, um, probably about 400. Yeah. On a good day, you're shooting in an empty gym. Pretty I'm, damn I'm shooting, impressive. No, I'm shooting. You I'll, know, give 80, you the, I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you 100% on the free throws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm shooting. You know, on a good day, I'm shooting 80 plus percent, 85 percent, um, in an empty gym. And most, I mean, well, not most guys, but. Mo <laughs> <laughs> no. I would say like there the, are a handful the, of guys. Yeah, there are a handful of guys that yeah. do, can do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've you've um you've talked a lot about how you really enjoy uh, mentoring, you know, young players. Yeah. And you obviously continue to do that. Yeah, so the first time I got the opportunity to really mentor young guys was my last year in Orlando. Mm -hmm. We had traded Dwight. Um, we had brought in a bunch of young guys. We were trying to lose. Um, you know, we were we were tanking. It was the first sort of post-Dwight year we were re rebuilding. And me and Jameer Nelson were sort of the elder statesmen. It was the first opportunity I had in my career to do that. And look, I loved it. I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that season. We were so bad. Um, <laughs> we were so bad. And, and, but I, I built these relationships with guys like Etwan Moore, who's going to be my, my teammate with the Pelicans, with Kylo Quinn, with Maurice Harkless. Um, these are guys I'm still friends with and still talk to on a regular basis to this day. And to see their growth, like you get something back from that. And again, I think part of it is because of who my dad was. It's just something that is really important to me. There's something that you can pass on to other people. And mm -hmm. whether that's, hey, we're gonna work on this skill set, or whether it's like actual life knowledge. Life stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just, it's important to me. So, Zion. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, one of the young players that'll be there this year, and so, the combination of the Duke guys, yeah. you know, what, what should we think about this season? Are you excited to play with Zion? I think it's going to be great. Look, I, I think what David Griffin has done this summer has been really important in that he said over and over again, it's true Holiday's team. And it's taken some of that pressure off Zion. Mm -hmm. Zion is the most hyped prospect since LeBron. And there's going to be tremendous pressure on him. We haven't even like played a game yet. We have no idea if we're going to be any good. And we got a Christmas Day game. Yeah. We got the opening night game. Yeah. We're hosting the Lakers the day before Thanksgiving. Like we have all these marquee games this year, which frankly the Pelicans haven't the Pelicans had. Pelicans haven't ton typically of those. had, yeah. And that's being driven by Zion yeah. and the interest around Zion. Um, so for me, I think the exciting part is I get to get this guy his rookie year, and you know it's different than sort of coming in in year three or four where guys have already sort of developed these on and off court habits. Yeah. And you're saying, well, oh, you, you got to break that habit. And to get a guy in his first year where you can really sort of build him from the ground up, that's really exciting. The other thing I would say, Coach K has told me this several times, Zion is the greatest kid he's ever coached. He's one of the, one of the premier humans he's ever coached. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly excited, not just to, to mentor him, but obviously to play with him. I think yeah. it's going to be amazing. And he's lucky, he's lucky in his first year to have you. It's a, it's a, it's a cool thing. Thank you. Very, very cool thing. Um, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about your podcast and the brand that you've developed and you continue to develop off the court, which I know is, is really, really important to you. The podcast grew out of a conversation you had with sports writer Adrian Wojnarski, yeah. um, Woj as he goes by, and it's really, you know, it's a passion of yours. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't you don't casually do anything. You know, when Woj approached you and said this was something that you should do, why, why do you want to tackle it? You know, what, yeah. what was it about it that said, hey, I'm going to go do this? 
Well, so Woj at the time was with, had signed a contract with Yahoo, and mm -hmm. they were giving him this new platform called The Vertical. He's mm -hmm. now with ESPN, but at the time he was building out this platform called The Vertical, and you know he really wanted an active player's input. And this is right around the launch of the Players Tribune. Um, play, players are becoming more active on social media, and so he said, hey, JJ, do you want to write some things for this website? And I had this immediate sort of panic attack, and, and I started thinking back to, to like my college days and having to write a 30-page paper and starting it at 2 a.m. the night before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's what, that's what I'm going to be doing during the season. So I, no, I don't want to do that. He came back a couple months later and said, well, we're all going to do a podcast. Do you want to do a podcast? You can have your own. I would never listened to a podcast. What is a podcast? <laughs> what year was this? This was like 2015, so I asked Chelsea. I said, Chelsea, what are these podcasts? And she goes, oh, I'm listening to this great one. It's called Serial. This is season one of Serial. You should listen to it. My podcast, I went a different direction, obviously. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think what you mentioned earlier is really the driving force behind doing the podcast, and that is intellectual curiosity. Yeah. I am fascinated by people and what drives them and what makes them tick, and that essentially drives who I want to have on my podcast. It's people that I really admire in all fields. Um, you know, when I was with Yahoo, um, the show was syndicated um, on Sirius XM, the NBA show, the NBA show on Sirius XM. So I, a lot of my guests were, you know, NBA or sports-based. And when I switched over to The Ringer with Bill Simmons, he just sort of opened it up for me and said, you can have on whoever you want. It doesn't matter to us. And I've really explored that and had sort of a, a totally broad, I've had you on, I've had musicians on, I've had chefs on, I've had stand-up comedians on, I, it's, I, and of course, basketball players too. Yeah. So as you think, as you think forward, and you know, we've talked a lot about yeah, outside interests, yeah. we've talked a lot about other things that you want to do, what, you know, what some of your kind of goals or aspirations, you yeah. know, after basketball might, might be? My first goal would be to actually take some time off. That would be my first goal. Um, no two a days. Yeah, no, I, I think have, having, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be fortunate because I'll be able to do this hopefully is, you know, I want to take a year off and I, and I want to really be around my kids. I want to really spend some time with Chelsea. There's a whole sort of list of things that I've never been able to do because I played in the NBA. Like I would love to go skiing. I would love to go skiing. Have you ever been skiing? As a kid, when I was seven. But not since you were a little kid? Yeah, little I just want to yeah. go well, skiing. I want to do a ski yeah. trip with the family. Like, that's something I want to do. Are you allowed in your contract I'm not even allowed to ski. I was no. going to say. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's, so, you know, there's some music festivals that I want to go to. There, there's just things I want to do. And, and I kind of owe that to myself, and I owe it to, to Chelsea. Um, you know, we've talked a ton about this. Uh, my friends that are here, I've talked to them ad nauseum about this. Like, there's a lot of interest that I have post-career. I, I, I really don't want to go into retirement having committed to one thing. I want to keep things sort of open. Um, the guy that I'm, I'm really admiring what he's doing right now is Steve Nash. Steve has a lot of things going on. He actually did an interview yesterday, or two days ago rather, where he talked about this. And he said, every decision I make now in my retirement, because I've got all these interests and I've got these investments, and I've got this thing I've got going on with Turner where I'm doing soccer and I'm doing basketball and he owns some teams in Europe. So he's got all these interests. He said, but, but my, my first priority is like, how does this affect my time with my kids and my family? And to hear a, a guy like that who really, like he could go be a GM in a second. He could start a fund in a second. He could do anything. 
but it's about how does this affect my family? She and, you know, to an extent, my kids, they don't know it yet, but they have made a sacrifice. There's so many things that I've sort of missed out on. And so, you know, that's going to be sort of the driving force behind anything I do post-career, at, at least initially. And I know myself. Mm-hmm. I know myself. I'm wired a certain way. I'm ambitious. I'm a little OCD. When I find something, I'm going to go after it the same way I, w- I went after my MBA career. Yeah. So we're going to, um, I'm going to do a little bit of a lightning round or okay. shorter questions here to finish up. Favorite podcast? Uh, waking up with Sam Harris. Favorite hobby off the court? Learning. Favorite restaurant? There's so many different classes of restaurants. <laughs> but really, I would say this. If my favorite restaurant in New York City really is Lily and Missy. I, they're different restaurants, but to me, they're, you know, they're, they're perfection. Um, my other favorite restaurant, though, like, who doesn't love pizza, you know? And the last three years, we've celebrated Chelsea and Kylie's uh, birthday at Lucali. Lucali. Lucali's, and, and Lucali's it's, unbelievable. Yeah. It's phenomenal. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So, um, you know, one of the highlights of my career, okay, was when I got forwarded. What magazine was it in? Um, GQ. It was in G- I got forwarded yeah. an article from GQ where J.J. Reddick is saying his dream podcast host would be President Obama, Bill Murray, and this other guy named David Solomon. Okay. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> okay. And now that, now, that that's, now that that's occurred, okay, yeah. who's next on the list and why Bill Murray? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, again, it had to do sort of with that question that I answered from, from Wojo. I had just listened to you on a podcast, uh, and I thought to myself, I got to get this guy on my podcast. Like you, you're just phenomenal. And two days later, I get interviewed, and they're like, "Hey, we're talking about the podcast. Who are your favorite guests?" And so, like the 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 Bill Murray. it's a timing. Yeah, a little bit, but also like you 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 have been a dream guest of mine. That that is that is that is fact. Well, that is true. That's, I'm that's not just saying jealous. that because you're next fun to me. For me. Um, and no, I, I, I tr- truthfully, I meant it. And and the Bill Murray thing is just because he's such an odd human and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, there's all these Bill Murray, Bill Murray legend stories or whatever, and you know, if you grew up like in our generation, like you just, you just quote movies, and like I still quote movie, like there's still quotes from What About Bob that I still use to this day. Nobody even probably in this room knows What About Bob. They never saw the movie, but I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, Obama would be sort of the dream guest. That would take like a year of preparation to do, though. Um, that really would. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just close with best piece of advice you've ever received. That one's easy. Uh, my dad used to say this to me all the time as a kid. Um, he would say, it's not always about you. Um, and, you know, I think at the time he meant it because I was the middle kid of five and, you know, I just basically had to suck it up at times. Uh, but in reality, like, I've taken that with me wherever I've been. And, you know, other than my sophomore year at Duke or maybe a little bit my rookie year, like, I've realized it's, it's not about me. Like, it's about how I can sort of help other people, how other people can help me, how we can all sort of coexist. And if you're on a team, it can never be about you. That's just reality. It's toxic if you let it be about you. And, um, and that, that's, that is the best piece of advice I've gotten. Great place to stop. JJ, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast was recorded on August 
A, 2019. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part, or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.